Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. How great is our God? I don't think there's, a, 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 we'll, never, we'll never fathom the depths of his great love, but we can scratch the surface. We can get into his word, the place where we meet him. This morning, we're going to do that in the Gospel of Luke at chapter 12. So you can be turning in chapter 12. If you remember, we started into this several weeks back, and we've taken it piece by piece. Jesus' disciples asked him, teach us to pray, and he did. And we have what we have, the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And then he told him, not only should you pray in this manner, but you need to pray persistently, expectantly, knowing that your good, good Father is going to bless you and answer you. And how much more will he give you his Holy Spirit? If only you would ask. Which led to a demonstration of that very reality when the Pharisees came and challenged him as he cast a demon out and accused him of doing it by Beelzebub, by Satan, right? And we get into this spiritual warfare, and we get into a whole passage last week on spiritual influence and how we can be effective in the battle. And beyond the spiritual influence, then kind of just to cap it off this last week, Jesus was invited to dinner by a Pharisee, but he didn't wash his hands, at least not the way they wanted him to do it, ceremonially, ritually, and Jesus rebuked them. He chastened them. He excoriated them. Six woes. Woe to you Pharisees, you legalistic hypocrites. Holier-than-thou snobs. Kind of sound, it sounds kind of rough, but if you were with us, it was rough. And if you were a Pharisee, you're crawling under the table about then. Well, here we come. Luke 11, verse 1. No, 12. Luke 12, I'm sorry. Verse 1. <laughs> in the meantime. So, in the midst of all of what I've just said... In, in the meantime, while all of this is going on, so it continues the thought, it continues the action, it continues the moment. In the meantime, when an innumerable, that means you can't count them, lots of them. When an innumerable mul multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Let me just back up and make sure that we're in the moment. An innumerable multitude of people had gathered together. That word, episunagal. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, but if I say synagogue and then I say synagogue, you'll understand. 
these people that gathered together, many of them, innumerable, so that they were just like stepping on each other's toes. They're just trampling, trotting upon one another. Big crowds. They're gathering together, just as God has called us. His church, ecclesia, the, the called ones, those that have gathered. That's what we're doing this morning. We are literally synagogue, church. The terms are fundamentally interchangeable. We use the differences to kind of delineate in the scriptures those of the Jewish uh, heritage and those that are the born again, especially the Gentiles, but of course, Jews who came to faith in Jesus Christ. But it's fundamentally the same gathering people who have come to see and hear Jesus. Does that describe you? Then you are epi synagogue. <laughs> You're here. Innumerable multitude of people gathered together, so they trampled one another. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In this passage, much as we've been following all along, Jesus is going to use a, a standard, classic, rabbinical teaching style known as charats. Charats, if you were to talk to somebody that speaks Hebrew today, they would say it's called stringing pearls. That's what charats means. It comes from a word for a bead or to put a bead on a string. And what it really implies more than stringing pearls is to, to deliver poetically by taking one thought and another thought and another thought and another thought. And as they all string together, the, the sum total is beautiful, like a necklace of pearls. That's why it's called stringing pearls. Now, according to Jewish tradition, and Jesus was Jewish, a Jewish rabbi, and in his teaching style, charats, stringing these pearls together, um, what they would do was they would build their message over lots of bits and pieces. Any one of them could have a meaning unto itself, but when you put them all together, it becomes something more splendid and more spectacular. What we're going to see this week, and I'm certain next week, because we're not going to get through it, because there's a lot of pearls. We're going to see in chapter 12, five warnings to the people, the multitudes that are gathered there. They're, they're, they're coming to Jesus, but he gives them some warnings. He had just come out of dinner with the Pharisee, the holier than thou's, perfect in all of their religious rituals and ceremony, and yet sorely lacking in love. And he says, beware. There will be five warnings in chapter 12. The first one we've already touched on, or I guess we haven't. He said, beware of, oh yeah, we did. The leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In verses 1 through 12, Jesus is going to warn us. Charats, part of this necklace. Beware, church. Beware, synagogue. Beware of those who gather together in the name of Christ, followers of Jesus. Beware of these pitfalls. 
1 through 12, hypocrisy. Verses 13 through 21, he'll talk about covetousness. In 22 through 34, he'll talk about worry. In 35 through 53, he's going to talk about carelessness. Kind of sloppy agape. And in 54 through 59, he'll, talk, he'll warn about spiritual dullness. These are some things that you might have encountered in your Christian walk. These are some things that you might have at some point had your feathers wrinkled over as you have come to church amongst, amongst, amongst a bunch of such were some of yous, right? And as we did this trailer for the movie coming up, The Jesus Revolution, that's 50 years ago. So there's a lot of people that don't really know that story. They weren't there. You know, it doesn't mean anything to them. And it's funny, my wife, Cheryl, grew up in those neighborhoods, in those tract homes where that all started. And it wasn't until she was well into adulthood that she even understood who Jesus was. It, she missed it. And it was right there outside her front door, up and down the streets, in the high school, everywhere. And how easy it is for us to look back on that time. I, w I do want to give a maybe a spoiler warning to some of you about this movie that we've invited you to. It's probably not child-appropriate. And by that, what I'm saying is there's no, no, no promiscuity, there's no vulgarity, there's no violence, nothing like that, but it's mature subject matter, and some of your six- or seven-year-olds will kind of just zone out. It might not catch their interest, right? It's just a little bit more mature themes. Nothing wrong with being, bringing your kids, but they might not, like, fire up and see it's really cool. And there are some problematic adult topics in it. As you saw in the trailer, those hippies. We're going to deal with those stinky people that need a bath, right? That's going to be front and center. And this whole Jesus revolution, the Jesus people, the Jesus freaks, this innumerable multitude that God made a way for and, you know, I think, and this is really a point, I'm driving toward what, what we're in, the text right here. <laughs> As you watch the movie, you're going to see a lot of just some of the unsavory aspects of humanity. Lost people, some, such were some of you getting saved, okay? I pray that's what we're all about. I pray that's still our DNA. I pray that's who we are. But what you're going to see in this movie that's, to my mind, even more disturbing than those stinky hippies are the uptight Christians that wouldn't let them in the door. That is problematic. And that problem could happen here if we're not careful. That's why Jesus gives us these warnings. The pro that problem, it was happening here. <laughs> he just came from dinner and had to chew out his hosts. Here I am, knocking on the door. If you would just open, I would dine with you and you with me. 
but I come to dinner and you call me out. I'm not even welcome in your home. First, he says, this is the first he said to his disciples. And disciple is a follower, a student. Yes, lots of people are going to gather. There's going to be big crowds. People are excited. There's a commotion. Something's going on. It's Jesus. I heard he heals. He has all these things to say. Man, there was a showdown with the Pharisees. People come for all kinds of different reasons. But some come because they want to follow. Some come because they recognize he is the way. He is the truth. He's the life. And I want to follow him. So he now, and don't gloss over it, he's saying this to his disciples, those in the crowd with ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. I hope that's us. Beware. Be aware. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised that you went to church and met a Pharisee. And that leaven, that agency like yeast that we put in bread dough. You know what yeast is? It's a bacteria. You add it to your flour and your sugar and your salt and your water. And you know what that bacteria does? It, is it not a bacteria? What is it? It's a bacteria. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm correctable. It's some kind of little bug. And you put bugs in your bread, <laughs> microscopic bugs in your bread, and they love that sugar, and they gobble it all up. And then as it moves through their digestive system, it comes out as flatulence, bacterial flatulence, which then puffs up the dough. That's what leaven does. Throughout the scripture, leaven is often pictured as sin. That sin, which is like yeast in the dough, the sin in our lives, which can puff up. In fact, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, did I get that right? Chapter 8, 1 through 3, Paul writing to the Corinthians, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. This is that spiritual warfare that he's been dealing with, the Pharisees and these people that have a problem with them casting out demons and all this idolatry and bills above business and everything. And Paul says, we all have knowledge of things offered to idols. And he goes on to say, Knowledge puffs up. It's been said, some Christians grow, others swell. <laughs> what is the impact of that knowledge? I went to a Bible study. I learned a Greek word. <gasps> is that love? It says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. You know what the difference between puffing up and edification is? Puffing up is something that happens to you. Edification is something that you do to others, building them up. And this is the idol of that leaven. It's that 
offering to the God of self-pride. Pumping ourselves up. Even if it's in the word, in prayer, in service, in, in whatever it is that we do, we call it in the name of the Lord, but we ingest it. We digest it. And we become puffed up. Love, on the other hand, gives. Empties itself for the cause of others. Frankie did a fantastic job last Sunday on love. That's what these Pharisees are all about. Beware of the leaven, the yeast, the corrupting agent, the influence of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, come, is, it, it translates, especially in the Greek culture in which Jesus was talking to those people, it's really play acting. Hypocritos. It's to put on a mask. It's to be something that you are not. And this is that influencing factor that the Pharisees had. They believed their own press. They thought they were all that and a bag of chips. Man, they had the flowing robes, the extensive prayers in the marketplace. When they fasted, they looked all sallow and walked around. And people said, oh, look at that holy man. And they loved the best seats in the synagogue. I don't want to be you. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It's a mask. It's a charade. It's being two-faced. It's not being honest. It's not being real. Church, I guarantee every one of us has met a hypocritical Pharisee. You know how I know? Because I'm looking at you. And you're looking at me. And we've all played that part. Actors. Trying to be something that we're not. That's something that Jesus would have us be aware of. Beware. Be on guard. Be cautious. Because you will, not might, see it. He said this to the crowds. Of course, some were disciples. They received it. He goes on. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. I, I, I love this in um, Hebrews chapter 4. Reading at verse 12. Speaking of the word of God, which most of you have on your lap right now or in your palm. Speaking of this word, we read, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, God knows what you're thinking, how you're feeling, what your motives are when you do things. He sees. It says in verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We are going to answer for every deed, 
word and thought that we have done or thunk. And that's sobering. This is what Jesus is getting at in this. It's all going to come out in the wash. Now, the good news is <laughs> that's the cure for hypocrisy. Take off the mask. Lay it all bare. Get real. You know, Satan throws darts through your mind all the time. You're a loser. You're a has-been. You're washed up. You did this. Remember those sins? Just know, if you're going through the list of remember those sins, it's not from Jesus because his blood cast them as far as east from west. They're buried, never to be resurrected again. So those thoughts aren't coming from you. That's spiritual warfare. But as you're going through this and you recognize all these thoughts, it should break you down to your knees. Somewhere in heaven, there could be a big screen TV. And when we get there, everybody gets to watch our lives. The things we've done, the things we've said, the things we've thought. Makes you cringe, makes you want to get under the table, right? Crawl under the chairs. But God, but God so loved us that he gave his son who would cover a multitude of sins with his love. He loved us this much that while you were still sinners, he died for you that you can stand clean, robed in the righteous acts of the saints, in his presence, in his glory. A child of God need not be ashamed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you're trying to live with a mask and trying to be somebody that you're not, I can just tell you it's the most unpleasant of places to be in this life. It's easier, it's easier just to be a full-blown reprobate sinner. Don't care, don't give a rip, just do it. And no accounting. Just your mind is just cauterized. There's no feeling, there's no sense of guilt, there's no shame. You're just running on. That's easier than being a person who has been introduced to the Savior of your soul. And then turning away from him. I know this is really heavy, but you know what? There's a cure, and that's the whole point. So many of us live this life. Another spoiler warning, if I may. It's Jesus Revolution movie. It does deal with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the church that wouldn't let the hippies in. It dealt with the sins of the hippies and how they were set free from bondage and slavery to substance abuse and promiscuity and all the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that characterized that day. But in that movie, you're going to see some, some pivotal, pivotal characters. It's going to deal with Pastor Chuck Smith, the guy who had his arms folded and says they need a bath. But God changed his heart, just like he's changed my heart, your heart. 
and it deals with some of these hippies, two of which, one is Greg Laurie. He's the guy that they said, you're a square. The other one is Lonnie Frisbee. He's that guy that's got the Jesus look, right? His house has a nice vibe. Lonnie Frisbee was probably one of the most influential evangelists of our lifetime. When you think of people like Chuck Smith or Greg Laurie and Calvary Chapels and Harvest Ministries and Crusades and the lives that they've touched, <laughs> it was Lonnie Frisbee that first touched them. And yet Lonnie, and it's part of the story, everything will be naked before the, him to whom we must give account. He dealt with demons his whole life. He loved Jesus. But he also battled the flesh. And in the end, it led him to a, a very sad ending. This is part of the story. This is the truth. This is reality. Which of us doesn't know somebody who started well? But right now they're not doing so good. Or even worse, they finished their race. They didn't cross the line. At least not as far as we can see or tell. Got off track somewhere, didn't even go across the tape. They were out in the weeds. These are things Jesus says, beware. And chief amongst them, first of all, is hypocrisy, wearing the mask. Good news is, God can rip that mask off and set you free. And Satan cannot attack you with those darts that say all these things when you take the mask off, when you confess your sin openly to the world, Satan can't sneak around and use it against you. It's like, great, tell everybody, Satan, they already know. No news flash here. It, it just totally takes all the darts out of his quiver. He can't do anything to you if you'll just be real. And that's what this passage is about. This is what God is saying. There's nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, okay, team, you've been with me many years. When the Bible says, therefore, what are we supposed to do? See what it's there for. It, it, there's an application coming up. There's a place where this story 2,000 years ago is relevant to you and I. What do I do with it? Same thing Jesus tells them. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends. <sighs> He's talking to friends who have spoken words in the dark who have shouted words from the housetop, who have walked contrary to the will of God, and yet he died for us. He calls us friends. In 
John's gospel in the upper room as he's finishing his encouragements to the disciples. He has what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the Lord praying, and he's praying for the church. He's praying for me, and he's praying for you. And in that prayer, he says, I no longer call you servants, because servants don't know what their master is doing. But I call you friends, because I'm telling you everything I'm doing. We are his friends. Abraham, he believed. He trusted God. He took God at his word. And the Bible records him as a friend of God. And Jesus is now speaking to people. Such were some of you. Such maybe are some of us, friends. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. This is one of the huge fears common to humanity, the fear of death. What happens when I die? Is there anything after this life? And if there is, is it that thing that Jesus was always talking about? Heaven or hell? Wow. Am I going to heaven? Can I know I'm saved? This can be scary stuff if you don't know your friend, Jesus who died in your place to guarantee you're going to heaven. But if you don't know him and you don't hear and you don't receive that, this can be pretty heavy. He says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who have, who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. (laughs) I mean, let's face it, for better or for worse, believer or not a believer, death is pretty permanent. It, 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 it closes the curtain, <laughs> play actors and genuine people alike, it closes the curtain on our mortal existence here on earth amongst us. But it doesn't end our life. We're eternal beings created in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. And we will endure forever. And the question is, are we going to endure in the presence of our loving Heavenly Father, looking to the eyes of the one who set us free? Or are we going to be in torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the fire is not quenched and the worm just continually eats away at you? That's pretty sobering stuff. But again, Jesus is talking about a big problem in the church, hypocrisy. There's a cure, and it begins with, recognizing that you're going to have to give an account and you're going to have to give an account to him who does more than just kill you. You know, in terms of being afraid, one of the biggest causes of fear besides death is fear of men. What will they think of me? What will they, how they, will they judge me? Will they accept me? Will they reject me? We all have this innate longing to belong and rejection is heavy. It paralyzes many people. Verse 5, Jesus says, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. God has ordained the number of days in your life. Then comes the judgment. 
after the judgment what will be your eternal <laughs> abode. That's, that gets stronger. That's more fear. I will say this, in, encouragement to you, because this is heavy, but this is to the disciples. It is to the friends. And John, once again, now speaking in his first letter, 1 John in chapter 4, teaches us this. Love has been, that's past tense, it's done. Love has been perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, speaking of Jesus Christ, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has been, not been made perfect in love. And it finishes, we love him because he first loved us. And so Jesus, speaking of our eternal destiny, tells us the price of hypocrisy, death and separation from God, but also of the cost or the price of glory where he has died in our place that we can go and be with him eternally in heaven in love. He so loved the world. You know, when you, I don't know, I'm one of these guys on texting, I don't get it, like others, you know, the emojis and all this shorthand, and I do texting, but I'm not all that hot at it, but every once in a while, I want to emphasize the word so, so, you know what I do? I put a whole bunch of O's, S-O-O-O-O-O-O, so, but you know, it's not a bad policy. When you read, God so loved the world, you're reading it wrong. For God so loved the world. He gave His Son. That's good news. We don't have to perish. We have eternal life. Amen? To, to kind of wrap it up, he says in verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten before God? Interesting, you know, this is something that you could offer at the sanctuary. You'd pay money, you'd get your sparrows, you'd go in and it would be a, a, a atonement, a blood sacrifice in the days of the Jews. And he's just using this copper coin, one copper coin's worth two birds. And actually with two copper coins, you get five birds, right? One free out of the deal and all that. But this is how they would go and they would do their religious stuff. But in this sacrifice of that bird, God remembers every one of the birds. They would agree. In fact, that's why they pay for the bird and have it sacrificed because they believe that God is watching that death. They, God is aware of that animal. And you think of how many sparrows are there in the world. If you've traveled around the globe, you'll know that sparrows are everywhere. Every continent. They even find them in Antarctica. They get blown by the winds. Sparrows are everywhere. They're so common. And yet, he says, are not one, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Every single one of them. Just mind-boggling how he cares about life and every single living creature. You know, that includes us. He goes on to amplify that. But the very heads of your, hairs of your head are all numbered. 
Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. In, in, the, uh, in the equation, I didn't, I didn't write the value chart, but God values people created in his image more than he does other living creatures. Now, I know that's a hard one for some people, but th- it's just it's how we, it, it doesn't say he doesn't value the other ones. It doesn't say that at all. What it does say is he really values, values people created in his image, right? That's, that's just how much more. And isn't it crazy that in our day and age, people are raging over life and, and how valuable a, a life is that you would have 110 people in the House of Representatives rise up and violently vote against a law to preserve a baby who survived abortion. We can't have that. Right? They want infanticide to be legal. Free and legal, no consequences whatsoever. But don't you dare harm a bald eagle. That's a federal offense, and you'll go to jail. You'll go to prison. He's trying to help us see the fairness in all this. Here's a fun thing for some of you. If you have blonde hair, scientists have determined that on average you have 145,000 to 150,000 hairs on your head if you're blonde. If you have brown hair, it's about 120,000, a few less. And if you have red hair, it's 90,000, even less than that. And if you have survived raising children and teenagers, it goes down from there as you pull your hair out. (laughs) The point isn't to count hairs. The point is to know that you count. In God's tables, he knows everything about you. And he still died for you. That's how much you mean to him. I'll try to get out of this little section right here. Here comes some of the good news. Verse 8. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. This is the cure, right? The, 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 the warning, the disease is hypocrisy. Part of the cure is fear. Fear of God will help you get over fear of men. But ultimately, what it comes down to, if you really are cured, you will love. You'll move past fear, and you'll move into love. And you'll do this in loving God and confessing Him. In um, 1 Timothy, let's see, uh, 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, is recorded for us an ancient early Christian church hymn. It's one of the songs they sang when they gathered for worship together. And the words of the song go like this. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. 
If we deny, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. So really, it's on the table. Receive, believe, live out your life in Christ, or continue to live without God, both now and eternally. And here he says, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. He's not going to be ashamed of you. Jerry, that's my guy. Awanda, thank God for Awanda or what would ever happen to Jerry. God confesses you. He, he, he's proud to call you his friend. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. I never knew you. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. I don't want to cruise by this too fast, but we're out of time. It's known as, it's nicknamed the unpardonable sin. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sin. Whatever you've done, whatever wicked thing you've done, whatever's going up on the screen, right? It's not there, it's gone. The bad stuff. But there's one sin, and here it uses the word blasphemy. That's to revile against, to deny, to say that, um, to slander. And basically, whoever blasphemes, it says here, you can speak a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven, but to him who blasphemes, which is to say the Son of Man, what a joke. Who would believe that fairy tale? You really believe that superstitious hokum? You, you think that this is God became flesh <laughs> and then died for you? Here's the problem with this sin. It's why it's called the unpardonable sin. Because Jesus will pardon every single sin you confess. It doesn't matter how bad, how wicked, how dark, how dirty. If you will rip the mask off, come clean, confess it, He will be faithful. He is just. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Clean as the day. Beautiful, perfect, and pure. There's only one thing that will prevent you from receiving that forgiveness. It's denying the one who offers it to you. That's why it's called blasphemy. Speaking against God, the power of God to heal, the power of God to forgive, the power of God to care, the power of God to intervene in your life, the power of God to finish that work that He began in you. If you do not believe that and you deny it and you say, that's not true, I just don't think there's a God, a Jesus who cares about me, then where are you going to go get forgiven? You just shut that out, and it's the only way. That's what that's all about. And people will come up to me from time to time and say, 
I'm really worried. I've committed the unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I was mad. I was angry. I was drunk. I was raging. I said every dirty, foul thing I could think of about God. You could even say, I've walked away from him for years. I'm dead to him. I don't feel a thing. I'm not concerned about that in the least. And I would say to them, well, then why are you telling me? I'm kind of worried. Maybe I've committed the unpardonable sin. They said, don't worry, you haven't. If you're worried, that means you still have a chance. It means you still have at least a smidgen of care. You, want, you don't want to be eternally separated from God. And as long as you will come to Jesus and be real with him, he will forgive you. Closing out. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say, right? Beautiful pictures of this in the Bible, Peter and John, and they're preaching right after the crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus, and they're brought into the court, you know, and they're told not to be speaking of Jesus, and they say, whether you, it's right or not, you judge among yourselves, but we're going to do what God says, right? And, and we see Peter on the day of Pentecost, the guy who's always putting his foot in his mouth, stands up and says the most amazing sermon to a hostile crowd, and 3,000 people are saved that day. Now he's operating in the Holy Spirit. And this is the whole thing. Are you afraid like the Pharisees so you put on a mask and you read your script? I can speak Christianese. Holy bro. Yeah. I don't know. All the different stuff people try to say to impress you like they're so holy or Christian. And yet, you don't need that. You don't need to be a Pharisee. You don't need to be worried about being uncovered. Just, just let it out. Be real. Be transparent. Don't worry about your words. Don't worry about public speaking, fear of men. Don't, be, don't worry about what you're going to say when you stand before God. He's going to give you the words. You're his child. How much more will your father give you his Holy Spirit if you ask? It's going to be reiterated as we go through the chapter. But God wants to pour these gifts on you. It says in verse 12, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You know, it's one of the most beautiful things out there is just allowing the Holy Spirit. Just speak to your mind, speak to your heart, and just say what comes to mind. If what comes to mind is, I have to confess, I have something I feel I'm not right with God, then Holy Spirit tells you to say, say it, say it. Holy Spirit says, you know, I just wanted to tell you right now, I, I don't know what is going on in your life, but every time I see you, you make me smile. Tell people that if the Holy Spirit tells you to tell them that, right? And just be about your father's business and allow him to do that work in you. That very hour, he will teach you what you ought to say. We're going to wrap up right now.
Whale Street, come on up. I had intended to get halfway through the chapter this morning. I knew I wouldn't get all the way through. We have strung one bead, or maybe it's five beads, but they're all under the category of hypocrisy. Be careful with that. I think that's one of the things that I'm so blessed about our family here. We share each other's struggles. We know who we are. We know who we've come from. A lot of us are such were some of yous. A lot of us are those dirty hippies whose bare feet are staining the carpet. A lot of us were those legalists who had to be told what's up. And you saw the light, and you reached out, and you hugged that person that God put in your path. You ministered love. And I love that about our fellowship. So I, I don't feel like this message is something that I have to hammer anybody with. And I'm certain if anybody here needs to be hammered with it, it's me. We just need to check our hearts. See, search me. Is there any wicked way in me? Know me, show me. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, by your blood, cleanse me, wash me, make me new. Let me be free of that. Let me be real. I want to pray, and I want to pray for some of you. There may be issues on your heart. And so if you'll just join me as we pray, you don't have to pray out loud. But just talk to God for a second. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I fall short every day. By your grace, I am not what I used to be. And by your grace, I'm not what I'm going to be. But today, I need your grace to wash me, cleanse me, fill me, hug me, hold me, help me know you love me. Make yourself real to me that I might be real with others. And I would pray that you would use me to help others know your love. I thank you for all the answered prayers in my life. And so I pray this knowing that you have heard me and you love me, and you will answer me. Help me to hear as you speak to me, and help me to be more than a hearer of your word. Help me when I hear, do what you tell me to do. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.